Hi, this is Dr. Rod Story with Mere Medicine. Glad to be back in the Cross Politics studio today. We're going to talk about medical education. I uh, suppose that some of you are wondering, should I be sending my little Johnny to medical school? Uh, that's a great question. After last visit with, well, what do you know, Johnny Peterson and nurse, uh, nurse and the questions that, of the challenges that he faced, perhaps you're wondering if medicine is something that should be shunned altogether. And so we're going to have a conversation about medical education. I have in the studio with me a guest. Welcome, Dr. Miller. Thanks for having me. This is Dr. Chris Miller. Dr. Uh, Chris and I have known each other for, what, almost 10 years, I would suspect. Uh, he has just finished uh, medical school. Where'd you go, sir? Uh, University of Washington. Ah, and tell me about that school. What does it look like? It's a little bit unusual in the sense that they have a lot of regional campuses. So the University of Washington itself is the main area, but I was within the Idaho cohort. And so there were 40 of us going through and yeah, that's about it. It's kind of a cool medical school. It's the one I also went to. So uh, shout out to my alma mater. Uh, it's, I graduated 20 years ago today. It's pretty wild to think about medical education and how much has changed in 20 years. So you just finished, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. But first off, tell me about you. Well, uh, so just finished medical school. I'm going to go into general surgery as a specialty. Okay. So I'm starting residency in Iowa um, this July. Uh, my wife and I have been married now for eight years almost exactly, and we have three kids and one on the way. Awesome. That's uh, quite a passel to take with you. I'm glad that you'll be doing that. Uh, I went through medical school with three going on four. And so you and I have shared notes several times as to even as that uh, a little bit of crazy on top of the crazy of going to medical school. Go big or go home. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Well, uh, God has been kind to add some more members to our family and I suspect to your family as well. Um, so you're thinking about general surgery and obviously uh, got into a, a residency. Uh, are you glad for your education there at the University of Washington? Yes, I really am. You know, any problems aside, I think they pre prepped me well for the residency itself. It would give me all the background I needed to do it. And then I, they also prepared me well for all the rotations that I went into during medical school. Mm. And I'm thankful. The University of Washington, uh, back in the day when I was there, was ranked in the top five in the nation for medical education. I keep hearing that that's still the case. Uh, why do you think that is? What's, what's uh, unique about the University of Washington? Um, there's a few things. I, I think probably the main thing is just that they've they've been around for a, a long time or well established, and so they they're very well practiced at what they're doing. Um, just they've had a lot of time to refine what they've been up to, and so I think those refinements have built up over time. And they're they're they really do have a passion for doing rural medicine as well. So they mm. prepare physicians well for that, and that's part of their selling point. Well, and they're the only medical school, or they were for much of the last twenty years, the only medical school in the entire Northwest. Uh, that's Washington, Alaska, Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. And that's uh, where you actually have opportunities to do rotations. What are some of the memorable ones that you did as you as you traveled around? Well, for me, I mean, the two biggest ones would have been my OBGYN rotation because that was when I got into the OR and realized I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And then my general surgery where was rotation, that uh, they are both in Wenatchee. Okay, And getting, getting to work there in a small hospital as the only med student with a large team of surgeons was just really fun to get a chance to see what, what their lives are like and to see myself doing that and say, yeah, that's, that's a good fit. Well, and, and many people listening may not understand what it is to go to medical school. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what it was like for you before medical school, and then we'll talk about what the current curriculum looks like. Um, so before medical school, you you know you just need to basically get the science curriculum you need. So mm. I originally went to New St. Andrews College. I took a bit of a scenic route, but then I got a second bachelor's at the University of Idaho in microbiology to get all the science prerequisites I needed to be ready to get going when uh, medical school actually started. Second bachelor's. Well, I wasn't that smart. I only did one, 
but uh, I'm glad that you have that background at New St. Andrews. Do you think that was valuable as you went to med school? Absolutely. I would really commend it to anyone thinking about it. Uh, fantastic. We're, we would encourage you to, to look into New St. Andrews here in Moscow, Idaho, where we also happen to be located. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the education. How about med school? What did med school look like for you? So med school, generally the way it works is you do about two years of book learning. And mm. so you start by kind of reviewing the basic sciences and they teach you the basics of medicine, the, largely the terminology you use, a lot of the most common diseases. And then after you've done those two years of book learning, then you do rotations, which is where you do a month of general surgery, a month of mm. internal medicine, that kind of thing, kind of speed dating through all the different specialties and speed hopefully dating. figuring out what you like <laughs> during that time. I like that term. Uh, and, and definitely, uh, if you find one that you are going to settle on like you did surgery, you might go back and do a little bit more in your fourth year uh, as you go on to doing a residency. Um, for me, family medicine was what I really enjoyed, but I really uh, realized going through, man, I like all of these. And perhaps that's why I'm the generalist uh, and still love what I get to do. Um, I, I enjoyed being all over the Northwest, and that's the, that was one of the, my, my favorite things about being in, in medical school, but it was also one of the challenges. Um, and and, and I think you actually have challenges that I didn't have 20 years ago. And that's really talking about some of the culture wars that have been going on or the culture influences and how that's beginning to impact uh, medical school. Let me, uh, before we jump into what your experience has been, let me um, just kind of highlight an article that I would encourage uh, Mirror Medicine listeners to look up and read. And this actually stirred the pot uh, in 2019. Uh, it was published in the Wall Street Journal and it was basically... Uh, the article is called Take Two Aspirin and Call Me by My Pronouns. And it was basically written by uh, Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, uh, professor of, of medicine and actually the dean of uh, curriculum at his medical school, the University of Pennsylvania. And he uh, wrote an article really raising a concern for the growing influence of this uh, idea of public health and um, social justice. Uh, being brought to bear on medical education. Let me read uh, just a, a brief aspect. He basically said that there was this new, highly politicized medical education that was starting to really impact medicine. And actually, Heath said it should worry all Americans. Basically, the traditional medical model, model is, is a scientific approach. It's a study of a lot of different angles on it. It's a rigorous classroom instruction. It's hours at the bedside of taking care of patients. And that model has been really um, uh, in place since like the 1960s. Uh, but now uh, social justice and social uh, agendas seem to be taking over. Quoting this article, the goal of today's educators is to produce legions of primary care physicians who engage in, the tr in what is called population health. Uh, and really, it was this idea of, that physicians are, are doing much more than just practicing medicine. We have a a responsibility to go out, impact society, steer conversations. Um, and, uh, and what he was basically pointing out is that there's all the way from uh, conversations about racism to global warming, we're really beginning to impact uh, the health, uh, the, the uh, educational process in medical school. So I'm curious, uh, this is 2019. This guy caught a lot of flack uh, as to uh, the conversation about medical education, people are saying, oh, whatever, that's not that big of a deal. And, and they also was a lot of pushback saying how important they thought this was. You've just finished four years. 20 years ago, I just, I, I just don't even see that I had this in my education. It was science. It was bedside clinicals. Um, 
do you think that that that, that has been uh, a major portion of your education? Yes, I mean, medical education. They there there is a job at the end of the day. They have to prepare doctors to actually practice well as physicians. They are aware of that, and I don't think I'm not ready to go. Mm. So it isn't it hasn't that the social justice stuff has steamrolled everything. But it definitely is eroding some of those things. Mm. And so you, you, a lot of this kind of stuff is included within the curriculum. And there's often a tendency to want more and more. Well, and that's the, that is the first primary question, isn't it? Uh, is there enough hours in the medical education that if you start adding some additional things, including conversations about uh, racism or gender or, or other things that have really become a hot topic lately, what is it that you might push out? You, I, I mean, obviously, I, you can only compare to what you experienced. Do you feel like a, a significant part of your education was given to those topics? Um, I wouldn't say a terribly significant amount. And it, but there was certainly some. And there was always more if you wanted it. So like mm. some of my classmates may have decided to take electives that were, were essentially just teaching you woke things instead of doing other more useful electives that would have prepared you for clinicals. Okay. What and would then those the question, have been called? Like, uh, oh, I don't know, advocacy, the healthcare systems, which always includes woke topics. There were okay. others that come to mind. And there were even pathways within. Um, so we there are also certificates you can get on top of your degree to kind of say you got really good at something. So oh, there was a global okay. health certificate. There was an LGBTQ certificate you could also get. I don't okay. know what it was, but I can't imagine it was great. Uh, it probably and, had a, some sort of a rainbow in its in its emblem uh, that maybe you could put on your shoulder. And as you push things out, and the thing is, as, I, as one saying goes, how much sand can you put in the sugar bowl before it isn't sugar anymore? Mm. I don't know what the answer to that question is, but certainly sand isn't great. <laughs> and so No, just uh, don't at least it's going to leave a bit of grit in your mouth and it's not going to turn to pearls anytime soon. Yes. Um, it seemed to me when you and I were comparing notes and you were in your first 18 months of, of the more classroom, class, class, uh, classroom book work that there was mandatory aspects that you just you couldn't skip. Yes. The way I would say the primary way it came to us was in was during we would have blocks where like this this week we'd be setting the, the nervous system, you know, this month. And then mm -hmm. we would have weeks interspersed throughout our more medical curriculum. And they, at the time, it was called Ecology of Health and Medicine. And we used to, some of us used to jokingly refer to it as Woke Week. Okay. Where you just have Ecology a few weeks Ecology of Health and Medicine. That's, a, that's quite yeah. a term. Yep. And, and uh, what were some of the topics that they covered in those things? Some of them were genuinely useful. Things like, let's talk a little about health insurance. Let's talk a little bit about mm. um, how to take care of people in rural settings. Some of them, though, were things like racism within healthcare. Let's talk about white privilege. Let's talk about how to talk to transgender patients. Mm. The kind of topics you would expect, really. I wouldn't say anything terribly surprising. So they were mixed. Some of it was better. Some of it was worse. Mm. Did you ever feel like it was... was um was just useless information uh, or even like, man, the, I could be doing something better right now. Absolutely. I mean, in the sense that you, you could always be doing something better. The one place where it is useful is I think it did give me a good set of handles to understand what they were thinking. Mm. And I think that's, that's helped me going forward to just kind of be able to see what's going on culturally. Mm. But that, but that's, you know, that's learning at the feet of your enemies, so to speak. Well, and as Christians, uh, we're, we're definitely steeped in culture and there's no way to escape it now. Um, and the practice of medicine is, is certainly not without, without so many, um, so many things bombarding, the conversation and the privacy of the physician's room with the patient. Um, the were these um, woke weeks optional? Like, could you have said thanks, but no thanks? No, they no, they were they were. You had to do them. Okay, so. like like how was there some arm twisting or? Um, 
you know, it's funny. I guess basically they were required attendance. I don't know how they took attendance because I never tried to skip out on classes generally anyway. And for myself, I definitely used it as an opportunity to figure out, okay, how do I stick my oar in the water as a mm, Christian, which was sure. useful in its own right. You know, you Great. want to learn early on how to engage in a system that's hostile to your beliefs. But uh, yeah, I know some people try to skip out on some elements, but yeah. Yeah, I think you, and, you have, <laughs> have some of the same... Uh, uh, level of nerd that I do, Dr. Miller. I, I, we, I never was one to skip classes, and I think you you probably beat me in that even. Yeah, I don't I don't really understand the people who did. It's, it's, <laughs> this, this is all fun stuff. Well, especially stuff when you're bad. paying $150,000 for medical school. And it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, in the same way that you're, you know, if you see a train wreck on Facebook, you can't help but watch. I mean, there was some of that going on, too. Yeah, so, you know, interesting. It was, it was uh, interesting, even if it was bad <laughs> in many the, cases. University of Washington being a, a, a school with a lot of different campuses, how was it being in Idaho campus versus what did you see in the Seattle campus? Um, I can only report based on hearsay. Yeah. Being within the Idaho campus, we all knew each other because there were only 40 students. And I think some of those, some of the things were somewhat softened just knowing that we were all conservative. Many of us were a conservative group of people, especially like, say, a lot of um, Mormons. Mm. But I have heard that Seattle is a much more hostile environment. Mm -hmm. um, I, and the kind of things, and the woke students will police each other. I, one, one particular instance of something I heard about, something that would never have happened in Idaho, was a student, um, there was an intramural debate basically going on because some students said that saying trans people of color erases the experience of black people because those are the people who are disproportionately affected okay. by anti-trans violence. So they had this pretty ugly fight over whether <laughs> we should call it that or the other thing. That, that sort of thing never happened yeah. in Idaho, but it definitely happened there. Yeah, so it's a absolutely. thing. And how about into the, the third and fourth year as you had to take care of patients? Was there a, um, a, a um, encouragement or requirement for you to participate in like abortion? No. In fact, um, I would say there was... I was actually pleasantly surprised by how willing people were to work with me. In many mm -hmm. cases, there were several cases where I had to say, Hey, like I'm a Christian. I don't want to help put in an IUD. I don't want to like somebody tell, tell me about euthanasia. And I mm. tried to pull her aside. I was like, Hey, by the way, just, you know, I'm a Christian. Like, and they were actually, and they were always understanding and never forced me to do anything. Sure. So at least at that, at this point, that's the current setup. I, how about uh, transgender language? Uh, you know, it seems to be a requirement now that you have to use certain verbiages or, or uh, pronouns. Was that required as part of your care? No, I think the only time there was something that was required was the medical school sent a letter on my behalf during my residency application, and they did automatically include my pronouns. Eh, water under the bridge. Okay. But other than that, I, do, I think I was always allowed to essentially do what I want. I, I and noticed. during, and it's worth saying too, during those third and fourth years of medical education, the wokeness did did get toned down in a certain respect just because at this point we really were focused on real patient care of individuals actually in front of us. Mm. And then, of course, each location you get to has a different political flavor. Sure. I, I can imagine if you're talking about global warming and its impact uh, on on uh, patient health, when you're really uh, in, in Pobunk, Idaho, taking care of somebody, it's probably not the conversation you're having. You're really talking about the patient's needs right in front of you and your care for them. Yes. I'm, I'm not expecting a positive answer, but did you ever feel like there were opportunities for um, conversations about these woke topics, either from you uh, and your teachers or offerings of alternate uh, conversations? Did you like, uh, did they ever bring in the Christian and, and peg him with a bunch of questions? 
Um, I would say there was never anything official, mm. but there were lots of, in my environment, at least there were lots of informal opportunities. So okay. I would, you know, I could disagree in class publicly. And I, I even had one faculty member thank me at one point for doing that, saying that they thought it was helpful to get another opportunity. Uh, viewpoint in the mm. classroom and I was able to have informal conversations with the people afterwards asking specific questions about moral topics so again you were allowed to go there but you had to be okay with being that guy <laughs> so to speak. okay and I, and I have a feeling you were okay with being that guy and it's a yes or no right it's a you, you've been there before you know how uh, it is sometimes you say oh I wish I'd suck me more in the water and sometimes you think oh actually that was probably not my best move ever and you just kind of you just pray that God will bless the efforts and do what you can when you can oh Chris knowing that uh I've had a couple of other uh, men that I've seen go into medical school ahead of you, and knowing the challenges, uh, I was praying for you often because it it creates it, it requires a great amount of wisdom in knowing when to talk and when not to talk. You know, is this one of those moments where you've got to be uh, the the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing all by yourself, or is this more of a, a wise as a serpent, meek as a lamb kind of opportunity uh, where where you're realizing you know this is not my hill to die on or uh, God is at work and I don't have to be the, the arbiter of, of all justice here. Um, I, I'm, I'm thankful that you found that. I'm, I'm really interested to keep following your story as you go to, to general surgery in, in uh, Illinois, or not Illinois, Iowa. Yeah, One I, of those I've lived eyes. in Illinois, Iowa, and Idaho, and yes, that does confuse people. <laughs> you are hitting all of the I states, uh, and you'll have license plates from each one of them. It'll be great. Um, talk to me about um, conversations just one-on-one -on -one with some of your fellow medical students. Did you ever have, feel like you were able to have fruitful conversations about um, these things, the, the, the woke uh, stuff that seems to be pushing its way into medical education? Occasionally, I certainly had some good conversations with people who were more inclined to agree with me as we mm. would talk after class and say, what'd you make of this? What'd you think on this count? Mm -hmm. um, there, and then there were, we had moderate students who would sometimes, I had like a moderate student or two thank me at one point also for saying something. Mm. So there were opportunities. I probably, you know, having kids and having a wife, I didn't make lots of super close relationships in medical school. Yeah. So I, you know, they were often surface level with people I didn't know super well, but they were there. You know, you watch the uh, Ben Shapiro's or the Doug Wilson's of the world uh, going to uh, university campuses and they're universally shutted down. Uh, and it just is, there's no, it doesn't seem to be an opportunity for people to have a fruitful conversation. But I do find, like you, that in the quiet of the one-on-one, -on -one, as you're just living life alongside other people, not necessarily brothers or sisters in Christ, but just co-workers and, and other, other students, those conversations can be really a natural segue, and and, and I think as Christians, it's encur it's a it's an encouragement that we should be fruit and light, salt excuse me, salt and light in this world, and part of that is being willing to to um, to talk about these things and being willing to be a bit of a oh stinky sock in our current culture. Um, as we deal with those things. And I think it's important too, to remember, sometimes we think that the reason we do that is to fight the evil directly, as mm. if the, the most important reason to speak up is to attack the bad thing that's happening. But I think in many cases, what's the most important thing is actually the encouragement you're giving to the people who agree with you. Mm -hmm. Oh good, I'm not alone. As well as just reminding people who are sort of on the fence, hey, we still exist and we have we have things to say. I think the least important people in that, that those moments are actually the people who disagree with you because it's not like you're going to affect what they're thinking, but it's the other people who I think can be yes. blessed by that. And I think people um, are going to medical school, not necessarily with the background that you were fortunate to have, where you understood that there is confrontation, there are worldviews that are colliding with each other. 
and that it is there are right ways to debate these things and, and ways of blessing your neighbor by doing so. And, and I would say I myself was blessed multiple times by other classmates oh. doing the same thing. Can you share with me one of those experiences? Um, let me see. I know, uh, I guess I'm trying to think of a good example. I guess I don't want to be too specific because I don't necessarily want to blow blow anyone's cover inappropriately. But <laughs> but there were but there were opportunities where somebody would say something and a classmate might raise their hand and disagree yeah. with something being said. One time, one time somebody gasped when they said something. It was a great comment, and yeah, that that is a real blessing. And there were other times when people would send emails out that were also a blessing to me. So mm. there's there really is there's there's more opportunity there than you would think. Mm. So we've already touched a little bit on is the woke education pushing out the good stuff of medicine? Is that are we getting a little too much uh, sand in this in the sugar shaker? But let's uh, maybe ask a bigger question: Is this going to take medicine, ed, med, particularly medical education, a way that that is going to be ultimately into the ditch? Yes, and I and something about the article that I would I would shift slightly is thus far we've talked about it mostly in terms of opportunity cost of the of the education happening in the moment in medical mm. school, i.e., you know, if you'd say the medical student is an arrow in the hand, we're saying, eh, the quality of the arrows has gone down, is the argument. And that may be true, although my experience, again, medical education still seems to be pretty good. I still feel like I'm prepared. It's pretty rigorous. You know, uh, yeah. But what it what it is happening is by teaching us all these things is they are teaching us what to focus on, right? They're saying what is really important. Mm. And that impacts what you decide to do later. Um, you know, to give you an example of the kind of thing that I think can come up, I know one of our um, professors at one point was talking about how this person had um, begun always introducing themselves to patients, including their pronouns. And this person kind of passed it off, with, uh, the office story with a laugh. She was kind of saying, well, there was this time when, was, um, you know, I said my pronouns and the patient kind of cocks their head like the Cocker Spaniel look. And mm -hmm. she was like, I get that a lot. And she kind of passed off like a joke. But there's a sense in which what... What this means is that she was injuring her therapeutic privilege every time, mm -hmm. um, right? And sorry, I think therapeutic privilege is the wrong word. I mean the therapeutic relationship, right? Mm -hmm. She is offending people consistently. Mm -hmm. And that's and, and she's doing it because we tend to think in terms of the system, like we need to do the right systemic things, mm -hmm. and we care less about the individual patient in front of us. Mm -hmm. So I'm less worried about what the what's happening to the arrow and more worried about the direction in which we're shooting the arrows. I do think we are trained to focus on things that are less important. Hmm. And that I think that's the more important opportunity cost over an entire career. There was a there's a couple of things that come to mind as I hear you say that, Chris. You know, one of them uh, that I think is is the the challenge is that we are tending to try and de-emphasize race in the consideration of patient care at the same time as emphasizing race. So it's this weird dichotomy. And, and when I went through medical school, we were taught that there are significant and predictable differences in our physiology between different races, things that make us care better for the patient when we know what their ethnic heritage is. And I, I can't help but wonder, it's becoming a faux pas almost to talk as a physician and say, what is your racial heritage? It's like, oh, can't believe you asked that. Uh, in a, in a really kind of bizarre way, when it, it really is actually very helpful to know about someone's care. I'll give you an example, and you probably, I, I hope you were taught this, uh, blood pressure differences uh, in the treatment between African Americans and Caucasian Americans, it's very different. We tend to use a whole different variety of meds because the chemistry is often very different. And I would actually treat someone who is of African heritage badly if I treated them like a one-size-fits-all approach, like it was truly a raceless world that we live in. 
Uh, did you ever come across things like that where they where they emphasize? Uh, the answer is essentially yes, but usually in a, in a, in a debunking sense. Mm. And that actually came up specifically with the blood pressure medications. And we were taught that most of the differences actually aren't aren't real or aren't good proxies for hmm. how to treat people in a way that's effective. I, you really should generally pe treat people the same way. And as for myself, you know, coming out as a medical student, that's believable, mm. right? If somebody says race is actually a bad proxy for knowing something about someone's mm -hmm. chemistry or knowing what kind of disease, diseases they're susceptible to, it's certainly possible that race may be a bad proxy for some of these things, but it's very hard to trust people who are very committed to saying race is not a good proxy for some of these things. Mm -hmm. Well, so especially it, when they're it, it leaves someone like myself not knowing what to think. Yeah, when they're taking it one step further, and I just read something in the American Medical Association that they're now suggesting that there's no um, medical reason to indicate someone's birth sex, meaning male or female, on a birth uh, on their birth uh, on their birth certificate. That it's not essential to uh, our eventual treatment of them. And that, again, is just mind-blowing to me. So when you, when you start with, uh, the, and that's undeniable, the number of differences between men and women that start in infancy and go through puberty and all the way into adulthood. But it, it's, a, it's an agenda or a, a perspective that is trying to trump those differences. When you see that in medicine and you go, well, the American Medical Association doesn't even know what men or women are or that there are essential differences, it does make you wonder, are they really... Um, glossing over a lot of differences. And I would agree with you because one of the challenges is also those assumptions. You know, so if I look at a, uh, at a uh, African-American brother who comes in and wants care in my clinic, and I may be focusing in some directions or making some assumptions that I would be missing out on uh, if, I, if I were to use that as the complete rubber stamp rather than thinking about this person as an individual. I mean, to use an analogy, we Christians are having the same problem with COVID, right? We're worried about the COVID vaccine. Mm. We and, and the question is, do you trust the people looking for side effects? And the answer for most people is no, mm. for obvious reasons. And I think there's, and I, I guess I would just say, people practicing medicine have the same problem, mm -hmm. right? We, we really do rely on their science. We really do rely on their academic work, but it is becoming harder to trust them on some of these counts. And, and I think wisely so. So do you think medicine is trustworthy? Well, um, that's a blunt yeah, question. That's, that's a loaded it? question. I mean, the best answer is partially, right? Sometimes I just dug a hole and I'm, I'm hoping to not make you fall into it. Yeah, but no, I mean, that's the answer. Sometimes it is trustworthy and sometimes it mm. isn't. And that's, and you know, when people distrust medicine generally, I mean, I think all of us in medicine have to understand that that's pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. we've, we've done many things with the medicine to make ourselves untrustworthy yeah. and we have to deal with the consequences. <laughs> and I would say there's a healthy level just in general of skepticism that, that is supposed to be innate to our scientific inquest. We're supposed to say, boy, that's, uh, that study came out and it sure doesn't seem like it makes sense. That either means I need to uh, look at it again, let's look at it another way, let's repeat it, or maybe I really need to check my assumptions, check my bias, uh, even consider a wholesale change in the way I approach it. I love that about medicine. Like when I was practicing hospital medicine, was frequently that we would bring some ground-shaking change that a subtle change would make huge differences for people's outcomes. We would we would change the way we do ventilator settings, or we change the way we give fluids when they're really uh, in sepsis, or we we'd really treat with antibiotics differently than we had spent most of our most of the last fifty years approaching it, and with good thought because a, an article a, a scientific inquiry had had brought a new understanding. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. I, I think you're probably in, sci in medicine for the same reason. You, 
Yes, I mean, how how can you not love that stuff? It's ama- it's it's amazing. Often people would even in medical school say, "Well, this is what we used to do, but that was really a bad idea. Now we yeah. do this because we studied it." And it should be going back to a previous point in conversation. That is also one of the big opportunity costs within medicine at this point, mm. because we are focused on many of these woke principles and climate change and things like that. It does take academic energy away from things that matter more, mm. and that's a problem. Another area that I see uh, some of that uh, opportunity cost, but even more so, just a change in reflection, is is a a, a goal that says that the the benefit of the of the many overcomes the individual, and I think that many of these woke principles, these societal justice ideas, really underemphasize what medicine is typically built on, which is doctor-patient relationship, one-on-one. This is really about a physician investing his time, skill, energy, and thoughts in the care of a person who's a singular soul, an individual right in front of you who has to take this decision or this information and then make a decision and either carry it forward or or kind of blow you away. And that's the challenge is I I think COVID really brought out that for, for much of us is that we've begun to pivot towards this public health approach to medicine, this uh well, the, you know, it's okay if, if, if we uh, have some individuals who just don't get great care, but as long as we get most everybody. And that, is a, that, dr- that drives, in many ways, very contrary to a medical approach that says, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to very thoughtfully take care of this individual right in front of me. And that goes back to what you were previously talking about, population health, right? Mm. Who are you actually focusing on? You know, again, the physicians being fired in the wrong direction. What's an important thing for you to do when you have a little downtime? Do Hmm. you read a journal article or do you agitate to try to get pronouns on your intake form? Hmm. Right. Because that's, because if you train physicians to focus more on these systemic level things and you say, this is where real change happens, Hmm. then that's what people are going to focus on. And this also goes part and parcel too, with, I think just an industrial change within medicine, right? We used to work with smaller clinics, smaller hospitals, Mm. but now more and more of these organizations are death starring into these giant (laughs) things. You've used some potent terms there and those things, industrial approach and death star, my friend. Uh, Yes, I have. You sure you, you sure you want to keep going on this crazy career, Dr. Miller? I'll stand on it. Yeah. Let's go for (laughs) it. Excuse me. Uh, by the way, uh, Dr. Story is fighting through a little bit of a chest cold. Guess what? We get sick when we take care of people. Uh, and so just getting over it, thankfully. I uh, shouldn't pass probably it on your you. Fault. I think You're I'm about a week and a half. Well, you know, I, 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 uh, I do give my patients hugs, and uh, what do you know? They, oh, they share things. <laughs> okay, let me take this a little deeper. Would you encourage uh, younger friends of yours to go into medical school? Would you encourage them to be doctors? Knowing the four years that you went through, um, and now you're on the verge of another four years of uh, four or five? Uh, Five. Oh, five years of of residency. I did three. He's a glutton for punishment. Let's just play that there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm glad that the guy who's going to cut me someday is going to have five years of training. So good job. Well, I'm sitting here going, five years? Boy, there's a lot I need to learn in that time. Let's uh, better get started and get, get cracking fast. Yeah, yeah. you start so, here pretty quickly. No so would intended. you encourage um, people who are in, in pre-med right now to go ahead and go to med school, particularly Christians who are wanting to walk faithfully? At this point, I think the answer is still yes. Mm-hmm. I think there's lots of there are areas within medicine where Christians can do really well and can really help patients individually and to a certain degree, hopefully affect the system. Mm. Um, Hard to in this environment, of course, but you still can. So I would say at this point, yes, you should still be going into medicine. We do need you. It would be a great Mm. blessing to all of us. Having said that, you should also be realistic about 
exactly how it will go. Number one, you need to hold things loosely. You never know mm. when you might have to put something on the altar when you know you're gonna have to decide. For example, I don't mind saying I got the COVID vaccine. I didn't want it, but it was qu- at least quasi required. Yes, um, certainly it was becoming very hard not to. So I went ahead and got it. If somebody else's conscience had said no then they would have to be willing to sacrifice that. So you just need to know something could happen. It could be taken away. I still feel that way at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that you have to also be realistic. There are certain areas within medicine where I think it would be very difficult for a Christian to function. Mm -hmm. I mean, a good example would be if you want, say that you're like, wow, I just really want to be an OB and help women give birth. Well, at this point, a lot of the OBGYN curriculum that you'll be learning in residency involves birth control practices that do cause the death of an implanted baby. So if you're, I mean... So in that sense, you have to know you're limited. Christians, I think, are officially limited in medicine and may become more limited, and anything could happen at any time. You mm-hmm. know something about that. <laughs> yes, and, and we have a colleague who um, is, is working through internal medicine residency, and um, just by virtue of his location in, the, in one of the, uh, the, the coastal cities, um, really has been hammered by, by a culture of, of, uh, of LGBTQ that's built into everything that they do. Uh, the hospital system all the way down, and and that's one of the challenges. Um, so just not a not a qualified yes or a or an absolute yes. What do you say? Um, it's a qualified yes, okay. and it's qualified because you have to decide if you're willing to take that risk. Okay, right? You just be realistic. Not everybody has to yeah. do those things, but if you do, we'll be grateful. Well, and I will say, um, I, I don't think I had to think about those things 20 years ago. I feel like an old fogey when I say that, and and as I've been mentoring medical students and and others to go to medical school. It is a harder conversation about what is it you're going to face, and that's one of the reasons for this conversation today. How can these men and women prepare for medical school? There's well, one thing is, and this is this will feel like shameless promotion, but it's just true. I think it really helps if you can get a great educational background. And mm. for myself, New St. Andrews was was great for that. So what particularly? Um, there were, let's see. There are a lot of places I could take this, but one of the big ones is just when you work within academia, you're dealing with a powerful institution with a lot of knowledge, and it can feel like this invincible wild thing. So if you get a classical education and you've you've learned that fads come and go, intellectuals um, rise and fall, philosophies rise and fall, it gives you a perspective with which to just, I guess, see that none of these things are invincible. None of these things will endure. It's easier to not be basically uh, dazzled by all the power they've accrued to themselves. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. And another thing is it just, you know, it means during your college years, rather than just surviving in an undergraduate environment where they're trying to dismantle your faith, you're actually going to be built up by your classmates. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was going to medical school, I'd had this really helpful vantage point given mm-hmm. to me where I could look at things from that point of view. And I also had a, had spent years during those formative college years of my life being challenged to be a better Christian by all of my classmates. So that by the time I was actually doing the pre-med and medical school stuff, I was just more ready for it. And I was a bit older and that wasn't a bad thing either. Well, I, th- I think your education gave you a leg up that I just didn't have, which is a liberal education in the classics, looking at these arguments that have been made about what is it that makes a human, how should a person behave, what are the the aspects that are much higher than us? The, the what is what is beauty? What is truth? Those are questions that most med most pre med students never do as they're just going through the biology courses and the and the um, and the and the uh, chemistry and physics courses that I did when I went straight through. Uh, and I'm thankful. I think you, that that was a wise move for you to finish that education and, and get that. I also think you were 
you were mentored by, by uh, professors who loved the Lord and who modeled being able to engage in culture in a way that, that uh, many Christians just don't get to see these days. Yeah, it was, it was a giant blessing that God gave me, and I would encourage people thinking about medicine to see if there's a way they can make that work. And the problem is when you're a young person, you get the idea like, right, I need to get married, I need to get life started, and wait, you want me to go to this undergraduate thing mm. and then do more undergraduate stuff and then be, go to medical school? But it's really about are you, are you working well where God has placed you at this moment? Mm. Are you enjoying your work before the Lord? If you are, it doesn't matter if it takes forever. How about medical school? How did you survive? I thought medical school was easier than pre-med, honestly. <laughs> I was allowed to focus on one thing, uh, just get good at this one thing. Sure. And so, eh, you know, I got up early, I studied early, and usually by the time I got home, I was done, and I could spend time with the wife and kids. So, I mean, I'm not saying it was easy, but it wasn't as bad as many people make yeah. it out to be. Well, and you're a smart guy, and you developed some good study habits. I, I um, watched you and your wife, Lizzie, walk this road through medical school together, and I do think that is a signature uh, that I also experienced. My wife, Jenny, and I, went to medical school knowing we were going to have to do this together, knowing in part that we were going to have to do medical school different than the, the usual brainiac who just eats, breathes, and sleeps medicine all the time uh, and doesn't really have something beyond medical school. I also saw you everywhere you took a clinical rotation plug into a church. How was that? That was great. I mean, it was just, I don't have anything brilliant to say there other than it's a real blessing to just see the Lord working in places mm. in places, and in people you've never met. You're like, hey, you're cool too. <laughs> it was just a real blessing to both of us. Well, and I think that that was uh, as hard as it is when you're moving to go visit someplace new, as hard as it is to get your three going on four kids tucked into Sunday clothes and, and uh, out the door when you have been working a ton of hours. Um, we need God's people and we need to hear the word preached. Um, and that's ultimately, I think, what uh, we would encourage our brothers and sisters who are thinking about going to medical school to consider is that you need to be deeply entrenched in God's word. You know, it brings to mind um, a scripture that kind of comes, and I was thinking about this. It's out of Psalm 119. And in Psalm 119, David asked the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? We usually think about that in purity, like sexual purity. But I think it's a little bit deeper than that. How can you keep your way meaning your, your behaviors, your, your use of your talents, the way that you spend your hours, how can you use your associations and your professional leanings, how can you keep that pure? How can you stay in a way that is God-fearing and God-honoring? You remember what the answer to that is? No, I don't. I'm going to put you on the spot. That's by living according. Oh, isn't, oh okay, yeah. Yep. Never mind. No, I, I don't think I was going to say quite that. I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> That's okay. By living according to your word. Um, it's really by being steeped in the Word. Did you find a way to keep the Word active in your life while you were in med school? Yeah, I mean, basically, as you said, plugging into local churches, God blessed us in so many ways there. Mm. And then also, you know, continuing to read the Bible individually and praying mm. individually, and some as a couple, you know, that um, it's basically, you just keep the same spiritual disciplines going within mm. medical school, and you always have time to make that work. And honestly, we have so much technology. I use the Bible reading app through my church, uh, that just brings up the next set of scriptures. It, uh, when I hit the button, it pops up and it starts reading it for me, and I can be literally driving down the road or walking um, and hear it in my ear. I'm really without, I feel like, any excuse for having God's Word active and, and regular in my life. And I know, that, I know that you guys were active in doing that. Any other words of wisdom for people who are thinking about med school these days? 
Mm, trying to think if there's anything else. I think I already said the main the main things. Think about think about going to a place like New Sanders. Think about how you can get some great education mm-hmm. going forward. Make sure you're actually willing to take those risks. And then just practice those things in the meantime. You know, learn how to speak yeah. out, learn how to learn how to love the Lord practically, because that all just pays dividends later. And I had this, and I, I think it's been a marvelous relationship that you and I've had, Chris, in that I've had a chance to mentor you into this process. And I had mentors, men who had walked ahead of me, who had gone through med school, who'd done so faithfully with their families, who had uh, worked through things that were hard and good, who had celebrated that with me. And we've gone out to dinner a couple of times as you've gone through these amazing times of getting into medical school and going away in rotations. And now uh, we got to celebrate you becoming Dr. Miller. Hey, congratulations, and thanks so much for being with me today. Uh, can I pray with you as we finish? Please. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be physicians. I, ask, I thank you for the calling that that is on our lives. But Father, we thank you that you first have called us to be your children, your sons and daughters. We're thank, thankful that, uh, that all of our works are really um, just nothing compared to the work that you do in our lives and through us. And Father, we ask that you would do that, that your Holy Spirit would be active, and we thank you through Jesus. Amen. Amen. And then I think the other thing I'd just add to is anybody who wants to talk more about this, absolutely. Find mentors in your life and feel free to talk to me. You know, Dr. Shore, you can always you're, feel free to give people my info. Well, and reach out to your local chapter of Christian Medical Association. That's what was active with me. I don't think you have uh, as much active here in this area. Or find a, a, a Christian physician in your church who you can connect with or reach out to us through CrossPolitik. We're always here. Thanks so much. I uh, appreciate you being on with uh, Mirror Medicine today. Thank you, Dr. Chris Miller. Thank you. It's great being here.